What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream, and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or better yet, go to the telegram t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on BitcoinAndMarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoy the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. Today, what do we have going on we're going to take a look at some charts first the bitcoin price was trying to break out a little bit earlier today at the open but it's hanging really strong uh, so we're going to go over that chart then we have this weird story that i was trying to find a source for uh, before i went live here and it's about the faa possibly paying a ransom uh, for the outage that they had the other day. But I think it's good to watch through the video and maybe we can chat about it and see what you guys have thoughts on this. Yeah, we'll watch that. Then I have a thread about the Ethereum marketing machine that they're kind of spinning their wheels right now. So we're going to go over that a little bit. And finally, the New York Fed has released their Empire State data for manufacturing, and we'll go over quickly over that. So lots of stuff to get to, uh, but first let's dive into the charts. The Bitcoin chart, and it is hanging strong. And for those listening as well on the podcast version, all of these charts in the associated post, I think this episode 302, uh, just go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E302 and you'll find all the charts and the links that I talk about. I do a pretty decent job of getting everything in there on the associated post. All right, so this chart, as you can see, um, we did break the F pre-FTX high. Uh, so far, nothing has happened from that. And one thing that I did write on my newsletter yesterday, which uh, is the free tier over at bitcoinandmarkets.com if you want to become a member, I said that I wouldn't be surprised with a marginally higher high, but that I did expect a correction in the next week or two. So maybe that was the marginal high, marginally higher high that we got this morning. It did break that pre-FTX high, and now we're going to go on a, like a week-long correction. I don't expect a massive collapse in the price, but uh, we're going to go over some of that in the story on the FAA and on the ransomware, we'll go, we'll cover some of that as well, why the price could be. Basically, it has been flat for almost a whole year other than the big market sell-offs, right? And now we have some fundamental factors that are coming in that are changing that. It's not bringing in new sellers, I'll tell you that much. So the price can go up, it can go sideways for three weeks, and then it can go up another leg. So, you know, a correction could be 5% and then we come back up, 
and that's that's what I'm looking at for the next week. I don't think that this exact move, like we, I don't think from right here we can continue going up to twenty four thousand or anything like that. Um, I do think we need a period, either a, you know, in the charts and in trading and and all of this stuff in markets. Uh, you can either go down quickly and get the pain over with quickly and bounce right back up. Or you can correct through time. So you can correct through price or you can correct through time and just let that uh, work its way out of the market, right? And have some of the numbers reset if you just go sideways for a period. What other things? Let's take a look at the stock market here. So it is a slightly red on the day, but you can see that it is over this trend line again. And let me bring up the 200-day moving average. The 50-day is approaching the 200-day in a golden cross type scenario. Um, okay, so that's the S&P 500. Let's take a look at oil. Pretty red, uh, pretty green day it is making a, a fight back. It's a higher low, which uh, tends to make me think uh, this is going to be a strong move to the upside. Maybe we'll get up to $90 a barrel. But we did get some revised GDP numbers out of China, and everyone's like, oh, look. China's reopening, they're coming back with a vengeance and all this, but there's nothing to say the slow motion recession or depression that China is entering uh, is going to be alleviated anytime soon. Um, so it's not like we're entering a new period of super high oil demand. We're just off of the lows, basically. So I can see a recovery up to, say, $90 a barrel in oil. But uh, I don't expect it to, you know, break out to new highs or even get above $100 a barrel. I would be surprised. So, all right. Um, how about the U.S. 10-year? A little bit red on the day, but nothing too dramatic. It is really like in this 3.5% uh, area, and it's sticking right around there. Even with the FOMC, you know, the Fed policy meeting, it's coming up. It's on. It's the decision is going to come out on the first of February. So, uh, just a couple weeks away now, and the ten-year is not budging. It's staying right there because the market is in charge, not the Federal Reserve. Okay. How about the dollar? Um, I did post a chart this morning of the broad trade-weighted dollar. So let me bring that up. Th this was an interesting chart because what I did was I zoomed out and I looked at the long-term pattern here and people watching uh, the video they can see that this long-term pattern is up I mean it's kind of a rising wedge in a way because it's not a it's not a parallel channel it is a rising wedge and very very interesting so on this the broad trade weighted dollar could come down another what is that three four percent before it bounces and goes back up uh, on the DXY now if we're looking at this it is coming back right now to kind of the COVID peak. Uh, one of the lines on my chart that I've talked about for a long time is the 2016 high. I thought there was a possibility that we could maintain that two, 2016 high. But right now, it's coming down to approximately this level, the, the highest close during the COVID crash. That's actually exactly where it is right now. Very interesting how you can see some of these levels on the chart. Um, but if this is a place to bounce, this is kind of like the last place for 
the dollar DXY to bounce, uh, or else it could fall quite a bit further. If it goes down and it stays down in the 90s, I think that all the strong dollar people out there, for example, myself, Brett Johnson, he'll have to, he's the milkshake, dollar milkshake guy. He'll have to reevaluate his theories. And um, who else? Jeff Schneider, some other dollar kind of strong dollar advocates here. We'll have to relook at our theses because it doesn't include the dollar going into the 90s for a significant period of time. I'm one of these people that I'm, I'm always looking and questioning my assumptions and trying to learn about stuff. Uh, I don't like commentators out there that they throw out wild claims. Every day you go on Twitter and you see there's a handful of accounts that are fairly popular in the alternative macro space. And they throw out these, and, and even the mainstream financial press, they throw out these wild claims all the time. And one in a hundred stick you know, as a general trend where I'm the opposite way. Like I throw out two or three general trends in a six month period and they tend to be right. Right. And so anyway, uh, I'm kind of ranting here about this. All right. Who else, what else do we want to take a look at? Uh, that's it for the charts. Let's jump into this story and I hope I have it queued up properly. I might have to refresh. Oh my God, guys, this website is totally jacking with my flow here. Is this a commercial or something? I don't go on to Fox News very often. Oh my God, they're jacking with me. Okay, here we go. Well, here's a really interesting Here we story. Go. So five days ago, last Wednesday, the FAA ordered a ground stop on all air travel in the U.S. That meant that not a single commercial or private aircraft was allowed in the skies over this country. And that's very serious. Hard to overstate the seriousness of that, actually. The last, the only other time this country has imposed a national ground stop was after 9-11, the terror attacks, 21 years ago. So it's a huge deal. What happened? Why did the government ground all the planes? So people ask, but initially no one's, you know, Pete Buttigieg, who runs the transportation department, which oversees the FAA, went on TV to say he was not quite sure. And then over the next several hours, a kind of story emerged. The government system that sends messages to pilots called NOTAM had gone down. And then the emergency backup system had also gone down. Now the FAA claimed it first noticed this on Tuesday night. When the problem could not be fixed, the government issued a ground stop the next morning. That's what Pete Buttigieg said. He described the culprit here as, quote, a damaged database file with no evidence of a cyber attack. So to repeat, said Pete Buttigieg, there was no evidence of a cyber attack. It was just your garden variety software snafu. Some contractor entered the wrong code. No big deal. That's what they said. But it was not a very convincing story if you thought about it. Shutting down all commercial air travel in this country, even for a morning, is a very serious thing to do. U.S. airlines haul close to three-quarters of a billion people every year. Air travel is essential. It's also potentially dangerous. So for a lot of reasons, it is imperative that our system works perfectly. But one day, our system just shut down for no real reason. Is that what you're telling us? Yes, explained Pete Buttigieg with a straight <laughs> face. Now, most people seem to think this was fine. We were not entirely convinced. 
And then the next day, last Thursday, we noticed that virtually the same thing happened in Canada. Well, that was very strange because the U.S. and Canada have separate aviation authorities. They're different countries. I didn't see this. Uh, so he said in Canada the next day after the U.S. FAA uh, shut down all air traffic in the country the first time since 9-11. Major, major thing. And what the hell is going on here? This clip just stopped again. This website is garbage. This Fox News website, total garbage. Okay, so well, here's a that's what he said is, is the first time since 9-11 that it shut down. They don't they did, claimed it wasn't a cyber attack, even though it was really weird uh, that it could just be one guy putting in the wrong code, uh, putting in the wrong password or something, or, or breaking it. And I, what I was saying leading up to this was that, um, you know, it's obviously could be a cyber attack and somebody opened up the wrong email and clicked on the wrong link, or they put in a USB drive that was unapproved and, you know, crashed the system. So this, it's very, very likely that that is what happened. Um, I did not even know about Canada, so kind of crazy. All right, let's get back into this. Guys, this, I'm telling you, this Fox News website is utter trash. Aviation authorities, they're different countries, and each country uses its own software to route their planes. The systems are not linked to each other. And yet, 24 hours after our country's NOTAM system went down, Canada's NOTAM system went down also. According to the Canadian government, its system, quote, experienced an outage. Really? What are the odds of that? And then we remembered that on New Year's Day, two weeks ago, something similar happened in the Philippines. Its air traffic control system also went down. For a time, no aircraft were allowed in Philippine airspace. Thousands of flights over Asia had to be rerouted, which is expensive and dangerous, potentially. Now, this was also, they told us at the time, some sort of minor technical problem that we should not worry about. Calm down. Everything's fine. But is everything fine? Or is it possible that somebody is hacking into aviation systems and holding various governments around very the world possible. hostage until they pay a ransom? Very, very possible. Well, yes, it's entirely possible. In fact, for example, in the summer of 2020, UCSF Medical School paid more than a million dollars in Bitcoin, and they paid it in order to get access to their own computers, which had been frozen by hackers. They were held up for ransom. So. What if the same people or similar people just did something very much like that to the FAA and then to the government in Canada and also the government of the Philippines? Now, if that were actually happening, the Biden administration would never tell us in a million years. They would lie about it mm. like they lie about everything else. They would have Mayor Pete claim it was a software glitch from a contractor. And they would lie to us because they would not want us to know that they had been so utterly reckless and negligent and distracted by equity concerns that they had allowed some foreign hostile group to take control of our FAA. But the lie could only cover so much because there would be signs of it. Almost all, all right, here we go. Like this are paid in Bitcoin. So if the U.S. Bitcoin, government baby. was buying huge amounts of Bitcoin in order to pay a ransom, Bitcoin prices would surge, of course. So the of question course. is, has that happened? Oh, yes, it has happened. Oh, yes. Since the nationwide ground stop last Thursday, the price of Bitcoin has shot up about 20%. Is that a coincidence? We asked Pete Buttigieg to come on the show tonight to let us know. Unfortunately, he did not respond to our request, so we'll keep asking. 
All right. Very, very interesting. I tend to think that it probably was a cyber attack, that something so dramatic that can shut down the whole nation's NOTAM system, every single aircraft was grounded. That is a little bit more than a contractor uh, flipping the wrong switch somewhere. You know, all of these systems have multiple redundancies, and it's kind of crazy to think that it was just one contractor can bring down every single aircraft, or not bring down, but, you know, shut it down so every single aircraft is kept out of the skies. Probably not. Plus then, of course, Tucker said there that Canada suffered from the same problem, and a few weeks earlier, the Philippines suffered from the same problem. So it seems like somebody's hacking into these or sending emails or, you know, whatever, get, getting somehow getting some ransomware into these systems. And yeah, it, it is funny that the price of Bitcoin did happen to pump right at that time. I mean, we did talk about the last half of the move for Bitcoin was a lot of shorts being squeezed. But it also is possible that it was these governments buying Bitcoin. I think it's interesting that ransomware is like priming these governments to buy Bitcoin. And perhaps they'll buy more Bitcoin than they need because they don't want this type of thing to happen again. What if they, you know, are charged 10 million or 100 million in Bitcoin and they buy an extra 100 million just in case for the next time that this happens? That means they're not only able to buy and source Bitcoin, they're able to hold it able to transact it. They know what's going on with this, even at the deepest levels of the secret bureaucracy of the government, that Bitcoin is definitely being used for this type of thing. And, you know, one of the famous quotes from Andreas Antonopoulos early on is if you, it's not money, if you can't buy drugs with it, well, it's not money if you can't pay a ransom with it either. So this just to me says that if this is true, that Bitcoin is just being forced into, force-fed as money into these bureaucrats and into these government officials. There is something that Bitcoin is good for, and it's transferring value. So let's go on to the next thing we have here is a thread, and this is by Tomer Strolite. I'll share this tab. All right, let's make sure I still have my Telegram folks up and running. Let's jump into this Twitter thread by Tomer Strolite. He says, number one, Twitter's algo has been showing me a lot of .eth stuff lately. Two, that .eth narrative is pivoting rapidly, searching for something salient. Number three, it is all attempts at undermining Bitcoin with ETH's strange rationalizations. Okay, so this is the beginning of his thread. And I haven't noticed that. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't noticed being served up more .eth things. I did respond to one yesterday, I believe, when they were saying like, hey, Bitcoin will go up, ETH will go up more. This is math or this is science or something like that. Um, and that was from that Ryan Sean Adams. Of course, just to cover the basis here, right away what I think is that ETH did a bad job by going to minimum viable issuance. They cut their whole inflationary stimulus out of their ecosystem 
and they're just going to die. They are searching now for a narrative, like Stromerlight says, uh, or Strolight, Strolight, Tomer, Strolight. Like he says, they're searching, rapidly searching for something salient. They're going back and forth this way and that way, trying to find a new marketing narrative. Ultrasound money is not working. They continue to slide against Bitcoin down 8, 10, 12%. I, I don't know what it is today against Bitcoin, but um, it's not working. So they're really trying, and they can't do ICOs again. That's illegal. We know that now. They were unregistered securities the whole time. And they're all centralized by definition. Someone has to launch them, right? And they need big VCs to invest in them. And those, they can't invest in unregistered securities. So that's dead. ICOs are dead. DeFi is dead. I mean, Bitcoin is DeFi. All the, what's called DeFi is centralized finance. It's just a programmatic way of replicating the legacy system. The only way they could keep people around is offer them yield, which turned out to be just leverage. And that has blown up. That doesn't work. Algorithmic stablecoins definitely do not work. They can't hold a peg. You could say like stable coins maybe are part of DeFi, like centralized stable coins are an asset that can be used with decentralized finance. And maybe that's the case. I mean, that's a stretch, uh, but those are centralized stable coins. And I don't really have a problem with centralized stable coins. Uh, and yeah, they use ETH as their backbone, but they can use anything, right? And Tether has proven this. They started on MasterCoin slash Omni that is on top of Bitcoin. Then they moved to Ethereum. Then they moved to Tron. So they, they can move anywhere. They are network agnostic. They can do anything they want because they're a centralized token. And so that's not a value proposition for Ethereum. And what else do they have? They did NFTs, but NFTs can be on any other network as well. They don't have to be on Ethereum. They could be on any network. Uh, and it's turned out that buying some JPEGs for millions of dollars is a dumb thing. <laughs> so that market is completely garbage now. It's completely wrecked and it probably will never come back. I do think there are, there is some market for NFTs, but they don't have to be on it. First off, they don't have to be on a decentralized network. They don't have to be transacted on a, a blockchain. They don't have to live on a blockchain. They're much better living on a centralized server. And I think there could be NFTs in games. Uh, that is totally legitimate. I mean, people paid for weapons in, you know, all these online games, World of Warcraft or whatever. People pay for weapons. People make a living, like building up accounts and selling them, from what I understand. That's a use case for NFTs in my mind. But it's a small, relatively small market, you know, a couple billion dollars. It's not a a reason for some altcoin to pump to a trillion dollar market cap or something. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And by a billion dollar market cap, I mean, when you're talking about millions and millions of these small little NFTs that stand for an ax or stand for a shield or stand for some spell or something, um, I don't know, in some game. So those type of NFTs, I think, are legitimate, but not the NFTs that they came up with. I mean, they're just digital signatures is all they are. Uh, what else? So yeah, 
Eth is searching and searching for this narrative. So let's continue reading what he has to say here. So first they tried saying, Bitcoin's security budget will become too small in 20 to 40 years. Bitcoiners replied, probably not. But if there's a problem surfacing then, Bitcoiners can fix it then. And there's no reason to fix it now. What doesn't, uh, that doesn't appear to be broken. Okay, that's true. People, they mix up the idea of a security budget being the block reward. But the, the block reward, you know, if, if a dishonest miner, a malicious miner, produces empty blocks in Bitcoin, nobody can transact. But they still get paid their block reward. So the only difference between the, you know, the only thing that's incentivizing an honest miner over a malicious miner that's producing empty blocks is the fees. So the fees are the security budget. They always have been and they always will be, right? So that's how I would respond to this is that Bitcoin's security budget will become too small. Well, right now, Bitcoin's security budget is very small. It is, you know, I was just looking for the newsletter yesterday that I put in there, the mempool size and the fees and everything in a little table. And the fees were two cents for a transaction. I mean, the, the security budget for Bitcoin is rock bottom right now. It's not going to get lower in the future. It's just going to increase, especially as you have fewer, you have more fee insensitive players that come into the space. So as you have more large institutions buying Bitcoin and using Bitcoin, settling in Bitcoin, you know, these are billion dollar entities or trillion dollar money pools of money. These people are fee insensitive. If they want to move a billion dollars, they don't mind paying a million dollars for a fee. They don't. That, that, that would be a good day for them. <laughs> they would consider that a very low fee, you know, 0.1%. As we get more of these fee insensitive users in, by definition, the fees will go up and all us plebs, we will move to the Lightning Network or, you know, a side chain or something like that. So, yeah, the, the whole argument about the security budget is just an argument made out of surface level understanding of what this thing is about. Okay, let's continue. Next came, quote, since ETH merge, there's been little ETH issued while over 100,000 BTC have. Okay, and then Bitcoiners replied, Yet ETH BTC has declined 12%, showing how little demand there is for ETH and how much for BTC. Also, ETH stakers are prevented from selling. What happens when that ends? So yeah, the, the, all of these staked rewards so far are frozen. You can't get them out to sell. So it's just on paper. But anyways, uh, let's continue with this. Now they're saying Bitcoiners don't understand how ETH works. Stakers get yield of approximately 7.5%, but there's no inflation because users of ETH pay the stakers for use of the block space. Some pointing out this is indirect through burning and offsetting issuance. Bitcoiners reply by pointing out that this shows exactly why the original criticism of proof of stake is was valid. That proof of stake is basically a feudal system where the poor have to pay extravagant fees to the rich to use the system. Never mind that the rich are currently uh, forbidden from spending the rent they charge the serfs because the king hasn't written the code to let them spend it. That was a great way to sum that up. 
And lastly, he says, uh, to sum up, .eths are unsuccessfully searching for how poor decisions they made are better than Bitcoin's reliable, predictable, secure, and verifiable ones. Okay. Um, yeah, Bitcoins. I mean, the obviously, Bitcoiners haven't made any of these decisions, really. It's impossible to hard fork Bitcoin. In, if you have a way to stay on the old chain. Now, that, that's a little bit more nuanced. We can get into that some other time if you guys want. But uh, Bitcoin is impossible to hard fork. Pretty much once Satoshi left, Bitcoin was where it is going to be. There's no decisions made, really, by, uh, by the community. The decisions made by the community for Bitcoin are what layer twos to build, how to build layer twos. We did get an addition of a malleability fix with SegWit, but that was through a soft fork. That was not through a hard fork. So there are some changes in that respect, but overall the consensus rules have never changed and they can't change on Bitcoin. It's That's fundamentally different than Ethereum, obviously. Ethereum can change their consensus rules at a whim and they've trained their network to not run the full nodes, to outsource running of full nodes and to constantly upgrade to new hard forks, to new networks. These are new networks. You know, if this wasn't a new network, you could run, it, could, it would be backwards compatible. You could run an old software on the new network, but you can't do that with ETH. And they've trained people on purpose. This was back early Vitalik. You know, he was like, we need to train people. And I'm paraphrasing, but you need to train people to upgrade more often. And so we're going to do that. And that's what they've done. They've trained people to hard fork. Well, what's, you know, they're going to sneak in something that is beneficial to the government or beneficial to some powerful third party. And you guys on Ethereum are going to be powerless to stop it. That can't happen with Bitcoin, you know. Uh, also, Ethereum's issuance, like they said here about, um, about proof of stake and about the issuance stuff, the issuance is arbitrary. I think they made a, a mistake by doing minimum viable issuance and they should have done maximum viable issuance. You know, if your whole ecosystem is based off of this inflationary stimulus, why would you set that at a minimum viable issuance instead of a maximum viable issuance? So I, that'll probably come back around into the conversation as they can't find a new marketing scheme. They'll say, well, the new marketing scheme is we need to have maximum viable issuance <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But um, so that's enough. That's enough about Ethereum. And the last story of the day, guys, is the Empire State Manufacturing Survey. So this is done by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And they go out in New York State and they survey all of the manufacturers. And it traditionally has been a good sign of manufacturing in the entire country. And I did post this in Telegram earlier so you guys can see that. But uh, as you can see, it's collapsing. It's down to negative 32 this month. This is the lowest reading since the great financial crisis, uh, beating out a few months ago. Let's see, what month was this down below? August, probably. Yeah, August. It was down at negative 31, and now it's at negative 32. This is really bad. This is showing that U.S. manufacturing is slowing down. But it's also, I, I just want to put this out there up front when I'm talking about this, is this is New York State. And if you guys have seen all of the recent numbers that have come out about how many people are leaving New York and California and going to Texas and Florida, 
So New York State as a economy is somewhat dying. Okay, so how much of this drop can we put towards just the state dying a little bit? New York State is their economy is not doing well. I also looked at a chart this morning. Uh, I just wanted to compare the state GDPs of New York versus Florida. New York is about two trillion dollars. Florida is about I think it was one point six. And if you look at a line of the history, like the last 20 years of Florida GDP, it did have a little dip in 2020 with COVID, but now it's ways, it's significantly higher. It's probably 10% above where it was back in 2020, where New York is, they, they haven't even gotten back to 2019 levels, where Florida is way surpassed that. So this New York Empire State manufacturing survey is going to have a little bit of bias towards a dying state here. Uh, so we do have to keep that in mind. Uh, what did I write this morning about this in the telegram? It was, it's all about um, everybody's predicting massive recession in 2023. Not okay, not everybody, but there's most people are predicting recession in 2023. It is the most anticipated recession in history at this point, if there is a recession in 2023. I wrote that, how could we avoid recession if these numbers for manufacturing are as bad as the great financial crisis? My point is, just take a look at this chart. Look how low it is. Can it get much worse? I mean, yes, it can go down further, down to COVID levels, COVID lockdown levels. But really minus that type of intervention from the government can this survey get much worse not much it can get worse yes but it's not going to drop to like negative 80 or even negative 60. pretty much what i'm trying to say is this is near the bottom it's much more near the bottom than it is near the top and now go look on this chart back in the great financial crisis during that recession that recession started at the top where manufacturing was still fine. And then it fell through the entire recession. Well, look at now. Now the, it's fallen and it hasn't been a recession yet. And what if it bounces? What if we're near the bottom and it bounces here and it recovers somewhat over the year, over the next year, and we avoid recession? I mean, it's possible, especially a textbook recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth. I don't think we're actually going to see two quarters of a ne negative GDP growth in 2023. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. So now I'm going to open it up to guys on Telegram. If you would like to make a comment, tell me how crazy I am about these things. Uh, maybe. So what did we cover today? We covered the FAA story about possibly being ransomware and the government buying Bitcoin to pay off the ransomware so that they could reopen the skies. Uh, what else did we talk about? We talked about the Ethereum marketing bending their wheels. And then lastly, we talked about this New York Fed Empire State Manufacturing Survey. So any comments on that? While I'm waiting that for another minute, waiting on that, we can uh, just do another admin note here, guys. Ansel Linder, Bitcoin and Markets. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Find me on telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. 
I'm live streaming on Twitter, Telegram, and YouTube. The YouTube is BTC Market Update. Subscribe to the Rumble and the YouTube. Comment, share, all the stuff out there. Any comments from the guys over on Telegram? All right. Well, hope you guys got something out of that. Uh, Hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will check you tomorrow. Bye.